I mean, can you believe this? We are three days out from Christmas. That's crazy, right? Three days out from Christmas. So we're glad that you're here. We're going to have a great time just continuing to worship Christ at Christmas. If you're online watching, again, we are grateful that you are here. We are wrapping up a four-week series called The Advent Conspiracy. And we've been uh, taking in the last four weeks, to intentionally uh, prepare our hearts for Christmas a little bit differently than our world sometimes sucks us in and tries to uh, convince us to approach Christmas. And we're, uh, we're, uh, our definition for the Advent Conspiracy is to, an intentional effort to engage Christmas in a way that is meaningful and truly celebrates and demonstrates the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And so we're just going after that, that meaningful way of celebrating Christmas that really demonstrates and celebrates the incarnation of Christ. And so if you have not been here over the last few weeks or you've missed a couple, I strongly encourage you just to go online and watch one of the messages that you've missed or all of them or listen to a podcast and pick up on it. I believe it will impact the way you approach Christmas. And really the Advent Conspiracy is about four specific emphasis Uh, and responses in celebrating the birth of Christ. One is to worship fully, just to make sure that the worship of Jesus is the priority. To spend less. We know a lot of people experience anxiety and, you know, financial hardship at Christmas, and it doesn't have to be that way. And so how do you spend less yet give more, which is really give more meaningful gifts? How can you give a gift that's going to meet a need, touch a heart, make a difference? And then also to love all. And these, these are definitely making a difference. One of the guys in our life group this last week said it so well. He says, I sometimes get lost and what Christmas isn't about. And it's so easy to happen. And so we want to get lost, if you will, in what Christmas is all about and lean into that. So today we're going to tackle that last section, loving all. And of the four, between worshiping fully, spending less, giving more, and loving all, this might be the most challenging. This might be the most challenging part of trying to engage uh, Christmas from a Christ-centered point of view. And when you think about love and Jesus, you really can't separate the two. When you think about Jesus, you think about love. When you think about love, you should think about Jesus. We looked at this passage last week, John 3.16, which said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And so we look at Jesus, and he is the expression of God's love for us. He's a gift out of God's love for us. And then when you look at uh, the way Jesus modeled uh, love for others when he was here. Jesus really did love all people. And he especially had a love for what he would call the least, uh, those that are poor and needy. And so he, he went after loving the outcast and those on the, the fringes of society. Yet at the same time, he loved the difficult people. He even loved the criminal uh, that was dying next to him on the cross. He even showed love toward the Roman soldiers who were nailing him to the cross. And then when you think about the teachings of Jesus on loving others, I mean, he said, love one another as I've loved you. And so for the family of Christ as, as fellow Christians, uh, Jesus said they're going to know that we are his disciples by the love we have for one another. And so uh, we're supposed to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. He said, love your enemy. One of, one, that's challenging, right? Love people who've hurt you, love your enemy. And then he said, love your neighbor. Well, that basically is anybody who's within proximity of you at the time. And so Jesus covers all people, right? Love one another, love your enemy, love your neighbor. That, that's everybody. So Jesus modeled that. And so when we think about Christmas and our approach to Christmas, we talked about this when we launched the series, it's so easy for us to make the mistake uh, that during a birthday, uh, we might try to celebrate a person's birthday the way we want to celebrate them rather than leaning into how they might want to be celebrated. And we definitely do that at Christmas. We, we celebrate the birth of Christ sometimes the way we want to instead of going, what's important to the heart of Jesus? And how can we celebrate him and his birth by, in a way that we think is going to touch his heart? Well, he loved people. 
And he did good to people. And so if we really want to celebrate his birth in a way that's a connect to his heart, we're going to learn to love all people and use opportunities to do good to them. Now, as Christians, we're to do that year round. We don't just like, oh, it's Christmas. It's our time to be nice to people. You know, we're supposed to love people all around, do good to people all around. But there are unique opportunities at Christmas. And so we also need to be people who, out of our love for our Savior, who was, you know, we celebrate his birth during the season, we love others well and do good things to others well because we're leveraging the unique opportunities that come at Christmas. And so that's what we need to be doing. Well, uh, when, it thinks about, when we think about loving others, there are people that we forget to love. There are people that we kind of neglect to love. And then there are those who are hard to love. And so I just want to brainstorm with you a session. Who are some people that would fit into those categories? People that sometimes we forget to love, um, obviously year round, but especially during the season. Who are some people we forget to love or we find um, it hard to love? And by the way, don't give me names, all right? <laughs> I want like the name of your father-in-law. We're not talking about names here and stuff. But let's just brainstorm a little bit together. Who are some people that are hard to love or that we forget to love, Okay. Post office workers, man, those people, they're definitely busting, right? And we can show them some love. Or another one over here. The homeless, the homeless. okay. Listening, give me some more. Politicians. Say again. Politicians. Politicians, yeah, it's been a rough one this week, right? Okay. And the other one? Co workers. The incarcerated, people in prison. Enemies, people who've hurt you, they've wronged you, right? People that can be enemies. What else? Say again? Steelers fans. <laughs> and here we go. <laughs> last, service, last service was Ravens. All right. So, um, okay. Couple, a few more. Customers. Customers. Okay. In the consumer, you know, retail environment. Absolutely. A couple more. Ourselves. Sometimes it's hard to love yourselves. You're living with guilt. You're living with regret. Sometimes it's, it's easy to, you know, forget to love ourselves. A couple more. Say again. Family members. No one here feels that, right? There's no family members that are tough to love, right? Family members, we can be tough to love, neglect to love. I heard one over here. The mentally ill. Absolutely. Okay. One or two more. Landlords. <laughs> All right. And someone said the Browns. And there we go. <laughs> We can go on and on and on, but I think we get the hint here. There, there's a long list of people that we forget to love or that we find hard to love. But out of our love for Christ, that, that Jesus loved us, we, we, we've received the radical love of Christ. Oh, no, what happened? Bad drivers. Yes, this is true. <laughs> Which means either you're one of them or... You've been impacted by them. So absolutely. But we, we don't want to be guilty of showing love to people. So out of our love for Christ and the unique opportunities of Christmas, we want to leverage Christmas to love all well. Well, I want to take us to a passage that is not typically a Christmas passage. And I want us to look at this passage because I believe it reveals a heart that Christ has. And it's going to come uh, in, in the framework of another Advent. And so I want to invite you into Matthew chapter 25 in your Bibles, all right? Matthew 25, we're going to start with verse 31. And we're going to be looking at some passages that uh, I want to make two comments about as you're opening up your Bibles or firing up your Bible apps to Matthew 25. That uh, one, these are the last words of Jesus in a message to the masses before his death and resurrection before he's arrested and all these things. So this is his last public message. And as you can imagine, anytime someone is going to give their last public message, those words are going to have greater weight 
They're going to be a, a, a different intensity of what's coming out of the heart if someone knows that this, if, th- if this was my last message to CVC, for example, there would be a different intensity. And so this is the last message that Jesus was giving um, before he was under, undergo his arrest and his death and his resurrection. Second, the verses we're about to look at may be some of the most intense convicting verses in the Bible. Just want to warn you about that now. So we're about to look at some of the most intense and convicting verses in the Bible. So Merry Christmas. Glad you're here, all right? We're going to look at these together. So Matthew chapter 25, let's start with verse 31. And we'll read a little, teach a little, read a little, teach a little. Here we go. Matthew 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Let's just stop. So at Christmas time, uh, we talk about the first advent. Advent means arrival. And so we think about uh, the birth of Christ, what we know as the incarnation. God became flesh and came and lived among us, all right? So that's the first advent. Now we're fast forwarding to the second advent. This is the second arrival of Christ. Jesus came. He was born. He lived. He died. He rose. He ascended to heaven. He's coming again. And isn't God so good that he would give us a glimpse of the next coming? He warns us. He prepares us. He tells us what to anticipate, what to expect, and and the decisions we should make in this life leading up to and preparing for that second advent. So this is the second advent. And notice at the second advent that Jesus comes in all his glory. He's going to be experienced in his full, unhindered, unveiled glory. And we have to understand, like, this is going to be a mind-blowing experience. We're not talking about uh, the one who wrapped himself in flesh and came humbly as a baby and allowed his creation to place him into a feed trough, a manger. That, that, That was a veiled sense of his glory. We're not talking about the meek carpenter of Nazareth who, who uh, took on his ministry and allowed his creation to, to crucify him, and then he became the suffering savior. We're, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the unveiled, unhindered, fully pure, divine glory of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be a breathtaking moment to be alive at this time when Jesus comes back in his full glory, flanked by thousands and thousands of angels. This is the advent that's coming, and God forwards us to this moment, and he's not going to come as this little baby. He's going to come as a triumphant and glorious king and judge. Look at verse 32. He says, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And so at this moment when Christ comes, he's going to sit upon his throne of all eternity, of all time, for the whole universe, and he's going to take all of mankind, all the nations, every person is going to come before Christ to make an account. Now there's going to be accountability and judgment. And this is, there's going to be a great division at this point in time in history and, and for eternity. This isn't a temporary separation. This will be an eternal separation. And Jesus is going to separate people into two groups, those who will go to heaven and those who will go to hell. And he now uses a metaphor, a distinctive metaphor, to make a distinction between those uh, that are of heaven, those who are of hell, those who know him, believe him, trust in him, and those who do not. And he says, it's going to be like when a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. 
And you need to understand that sheep and goats have two different natures, two different behaviors. They might look the same when you see a big herd of animals, but then when you separate them, they're very distinctively different. Uh, Even today, if you were to go to the Middle East, and some of us were there recently on our last trip to Israel, and we saw some of the Bedouin shepherds in the lower area of the wilderness, and they would be traveling. And sometimes you see where all the sheep and the goats are mixed together, but there were times when they had separated them. And so let's just talk about some of the distinctives. Like you think about a sheep, for example. A sheep's nature is that they're gentle. Uh, They're not too bright, but they're peaceful. They're restful, and they're highly dependent on the shepherd. They know the shepherd's voice. They follow the shepherd. They depend on the shepherd. And so a lot of times you see the shepherd will be leading sheep. The sheep will be following the shepherd. But then goats are the complete opposite. Goats are rowdy, right? Goats are defiant. They're destructive. They're independent. They're restless. They have to be driven by the shepherd. So where the sheep follow the shepherd, the shepherds with goats have to actually prod them with the staff to get them to go where they want them to go. And so when they come to a pasture, you might see sheep and goats, they might be eating together in a pasture, but then just to prevent the goats from having to eat everything, they'll they'll move the goats out so the sheep can still get some, or at nighttime they'll separate them to make sure because they have some distinctives. And the goats are guided by their appetites. They're very independent. So the sheep knows it needs the shepherd. The goats want nothing to do with the shepherd. In fact, sometimes what they'll do is they have to watch the mom goats because uh, she'll have baby goats around her, those little kids. And what happens if they come to an area with limited food, the mother goat will eat all the food, not even leave any for the babies because they're so driven by their appetites. And so the shepherd has to separate these animals because they're different nature. I've heard it said that uh, the, the shepherd has to protect the sheep from the environment, but then the shepherd also has to protect the environment from the goats because they're so destructive. And so he's using this as a distinctive, like there's going to be the sheep and the goats. And you can see the parallel between humanity. There are those who've accepted that Jesus Christ is not just the son of God, but he's God in the flesh and he's the great shepherd. And those of us who believe in him, follow him. We follow his voice. We follow his lead. We follow after him. We've identified him as our protection, our provision. We gladly follow the shepherd. Uh, But some of us have have been or still are goats. We're going, we don't need the shepherd. I'm going to let my appetite run my life. I'm going to, I'm going to devour everything in front of me. Destruction doesn't matter. My life is about me. I don't need the shepherd. He says there's going to be a great separation in the future between these two. Look what he says now. Now we're going to get to something that I want to get to that reveals the heart of Jesus as he's speaking to the sheep. Look at verse, the next verse. It says in verse 33, he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And so Jesus is clearly uh, making that distinction that those on his right are going to be the believers. They're they're in the seat of honor on the right side. They're blessed by the Father, not cursed, not condemned, and that they're inheriting the kingdom. All that is the Lord's is now theirs through faith and trust in Christ. And this kingdom that they're inheriting, their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life long before. And so now this is going to be the kingdom that they are receiving. And when he brings them together, He's going to make a distinction about something he saw in their life. And look what he says in verses 35 through 40. He says, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when, we did, when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? 
And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to the least of one of these my brothers, you did it to me. And there it is. We see a glimpse of the heart of Jesus for the least. We want to celebrate the birth of Christ in a way that's going to make a heart, uh, touch the heart of Christ. He just gave you a list of the people that are very close to his heart. Love all but especially the least. Now, I just have to touch base on this before we move any further. It would be very easy, and some people make this mistake. They read this passage and make the mistake of going, oh, okay, so in order to go to heaven, I've got to do these good works. I've got to feed the hungry. I've got to you know, go after the clean water issue in different countries. I've got to provide food. I've got to visit. You know. And so what happens is people go like, oh, this is the checklist. I've got to do these things so that I can be made right with God. That's not what's being taught here. And when you look at the whole Bible and the whole narrative of the Bible, what's being said here is we do these things because we are right with God. So you don't do these things to be saved. You do them because you are saved. This is the, the fruit of our salvation. So salvation is the root. And then these kind, good, loving actions are the fruit of those who know and love Christ. We don't earn our way into heaven by good works. That's not taught anywhere in the Bible. The Bible teaches that Jesus earned our place in heaven through the cross. Jesus earned our way through his sacrificial death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. And so we don't want to get this confused here. And I hope all of you have come to that place where you've um, you know, humbly come to Christ and identified him as your source of forgiveness with God, him as your way to eternal life. Because if you're still stuck in that lie, that's what it is. It's a lie that you've got to earn your way to heaven. You just need to know you'll, you'll never be good enough. You'll never do enough. There's just no, there's no bar that you have to, it's all through Christ. And so if you still don't have a relationship with Christ, whether you're watching online right now, or whether you're in this room, it's, it's so simple and so necessary that you come to a place where you admit that you're a sinner, you admit that you're broken and far from God, and that you can't do anything about it. And then what you do is you place your belief in Christ. You don't put your belief in yourself. Good works is making yourself your own savior. Okay? You don't put your belief in yourself. You put your belief in Christ and who he is as God's son and as God in the flesh. You put your belief in his work on the cross where he died for the sins of mankind. You put your belief in his resurrection from the grave where he conquered death and sin. And then you commit your life to following him. And if you've never done that, I invite you to do that today, even now. That's just a conversation that you need to have with God. Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I believe in Christ and I commit my life to following him. And if you do that, we want to celebrate that with you. And we want to come alongside you and disciple you and coach you and encourage you about how to grow in your new faith. Just met a woman after the last service. Uh, she just came to Christ over the last couple of weeks. And you can just tell, she says, my life's changed already. My life's changed already. And, and God, she's in a hard place in life right now. She says, God's already shown up in my life and making his presence known. And so we're, getting, we're able to celebrate her and help her take those next steps. We want to do that with you too. And so write down an email, write down an address, get your response card out and put down that you've given your life to Christ and turn that in. And we'll get in touch with you and tell you how to grow in your faith. And so this, is, this, is, this list here, this is because we know Christ, not so that we have to do these things in order to be approved by Christ. And you see this, it says here, um, Jesus is very clear that when you've done it to the least of these, there's been a lot of chatter about who he's talking about. Who are the least of these, my brothers? Is he talking about his, his literal family, like the other, the other um, you know, kids from Mary? No. Is he talking about his disciples? Is he talking about, you know, this is a Jewish context? Is he, is he talking about Jews? Is he talking about people around the world? And as you study this passage, the most immediate application would be other believers in Christ. And so when you see this list of, of how we're going to express love for others, the most immediate application is toward our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are hungry and thirsty and who don't have clothing and they're imprisoned for their faith 
and they're sick, right? That, that's the most immediate application, but it's not the exclusive application. Because clearly when you pair it with all the other passages in Scripture, God has a heart for the poor around the world, where it applies and catapults us into those who fit that same uh, description around the world that aren't of the faith. It's very similar to our own homes. Like our own homes, if, 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 um, if I do not feed my children, and I don't provide clothing for my children in, in my own home, but I'm using all my money to do it for people outside my home, then I'm neglecting my God-given first priority. That's not good, right? That's not a good thing, okay? And I think there's some you know, organizations in our culture that would have issues with that, right? Because they know that's wrong. We can't do that. But then we go to the other extreme. We say, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to use all my resources only for under my home, and I'm not going to do anything for the sick, anything for the poor, anything for the needy. And what happens is if we exclusively use our resources only for ourselves and we do nothing to help others, then we're ignoring all the passages like this and many others where God gives us a heart to go after those who need help. We can't turn our back on those who are hungry and thirsty and unclothed and who are sick and who are in prison and who are strangers. We see the heart of Christ is going to lead us to welcome them in. I think another verse that reinforces this well and brings clarity is Galatians 6.10. God speaking through the apostle um, Paul to the Christians in the region called Galatia. He says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are the household of faith. So we, believers, as we have opportunity, which is basically every day, right, to do good to everyone, strangers, unbelievers, especially those in the household of faith, other believers. And just think of the message that sends. Like, like, like if we can't take care of ourselves as a family of faith, why would anyone outside our family of faith want to come in, right? If they look at us and go like, you can't, you can't even take care of yourselves, man. Why would I want to be part of your family, right? But if they see that we love each other well, and then we're inviting them or we're extending the invitation of Christ's invitation to family. It's like, man, I'd love to be part of your family. I've seen how you love each other. I see how you care for one another. I'd love to be part of that family. So Jesus is really getting at all of this. In fact, the case can be made that if you profess faith in Jesus but are not loving and caring toward those in need, maybe you said something about Jesus with your lips, but actually you never had a conversion of the heart. You can't divorce new life in Christ and a profession of faith from having a heart that's going to grow toward helping those who have great need. In fact, in 1 John 3.17, it says, If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? How can the love of God abide in us, live in us, dwell in us, and yet we're callous toward everyone else with great need? God's saying that's a contradiction. In fact, if you keep reading in Matthew 25, he starts talking to the goats, and he makes that clear. Look at verse 41. Then he said to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not welcome me. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty and a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and didn't minister to you? And he will answer them saying, I say to you as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So Merry Christmas. There you go. <laughs> these are intense verses. They're convicting verses. I had a couple come up to me after one of the services this morning. 
And I, what I love about reading God's word is we can read a passage like this and all of you are going to feel conviction in a different area. Like right now, God's probably pressing in a specific area in your life, but it's, it might not be the same area as someone else. And this couple came up to me and they said, we've had a loved one who's been in prison for seven years. We've never visited them. And God spoke clearly to our heart today. We, we have to go visit them. Like that, that's, that's what the love of Christ compels us to do, to not neglect to love and do good, to, to go after those who are difficult to love. You just can't separate the two. And, and this is, this is going to be natural for us as Christians. I'm not going to have to beg you to go do this. No one else is going to have to remind you to do this. Jesus is going to activate your radar and start to show you and reveal to you and push on you ways that you can love others and do good to them. And what we see here that's so clear that should cut to the heart for us is Jesus told the sheep, when you did it for them, it was like you were doing it for me. And when he told the goats, and when you didn't do it to them, it's as if you didn't do it to me. Like we can't get around that. How can we try to get around that? We can't. And so the way we treat those who are hungry and thirsty and estranged and sick and unclothed and in prison, it's how we treat Christ. And what we don't do for them, it's how we treat Christ. And so you want to you celebrate a Christmas in a meaningful way? You want to celebrate the birth of our Savior? Treat him the way he wants us to treat people the way he treated them. And so we have to get at that. So if we put all this together, Jesus taught us to love others. He modeled it for us. He made it clear that loving others includes the least. This is going to be the poor and the needy and people who are in hard places. And we're to do this all the time, but definitely leverage the unique opportunities that come at Christmas. Now, we can't talk like this as a church without celebrating and without affirming that that does happen here at CVC. And I just, again, want to thank you for being a church that gets this. I hear stories all the time of how you guys love each other well. I hear about life groups that are you know, providing meals and resources and ministry to people in their life groups because they're in a hard place. I hear all the time about people in this church finding out about someone else that's a Christian or a believer in this church and realizing they have great need and, and ministering to them. So, so thank you for doing that. And I hear about stories of how you were going, uh, going out and whether it's a coworker or someone in, in school or someone in your community and, and letting God use you to meet their needs and doing it in the name of Christ. Like anybody can do a nice thing, but we got to make sure that people know we're doing this because of Jesus. And so I'm so grateful that you guys understand that. One uh, recent and clear example of that is our Advent tree. If, if you're new here or newer here, or if you're online and you've never been here, uh, we've got this Christmas tree out there. And if you've walked by that tree and you're newer, you're probably thinking, this poor church, man, like they just put that tree out there and they don't have enough resources. They just decorate it with paper, you know? <laughs> now, those are just paper ornaments and tags, each one with a unique need that will meet people's needs within our church, within our community and around the world uh, that we feel God's given us to go after for this year. And so right now, just, just some of the impact that's been made on that tree so far, and we're still receiving resources for the next week, but I just want to tell you what you guys have done so far. Uh, the Ghana Medical Clinic, by the way, the Ghana Medical Clinic serves the Enzima people, and the clinic, through their programs and their facilities, tries to reduce the uh, maternal and child mortality rates by trying to control the spread of preventable diseases such as HIV, AIDS, and malaria. And uh, it's, it's right now, it's a hospital run by Ghanaians for Ghanaians. 
And we have people here in this church and people who've been part of this church that have moved but still continue to have, give, have given for years and years and years toward that. Well, so far this year, you guys have raised $11,571. I like that 71. Like some kid probably gave a dollar, you know? $71 to go toward the supplies and the resources and needs that hospital in Ghana that will continue to help people there in Ghana, Africa. The Love and Hope Children's Home, for example, that's in El Salvador that cares for orphaned and abused and neglected children in El Salvador. So far, you've raised uh, $5,526 for tuition and education for that uh, ministry, but also $1,641 for Christmas gifts uh, for Love and Hope Children's Home. Pearl Island, uh, the island in Indonesia that we've adopted, they've had earthquakes over the last you know, year, year and a half. And uh, we've been investing in the island with relationships and uh, we did some disaster relief. But you guys have raised $250 so far in disaster relief, but $6,321 in medical supplies. And as you saw the video, you saw some you know, uh, representation of the Ghana you know, medical clinic, but then you also heard about this team that we're sending in April. It's the very first medical team we've ever sent over to Indonesia on this island, and they're there to help with wound care and child care that's there that has medical needs. And so you guys are resourcing them with these funds. And so again, just thank you for being a church that is loving all, is doing good to others in a way that's meeting needs. And and that's also close to home too. People with our own church and our own community uh, received a letter this year from a woman who said this. She said, I'm a single mom who at one point was disabled and could not afford gifts for my kids. CVC blessed my family for a couple years with the Advent tree as well as Thanksgiving meals and other things. And I was able to return to work two years ago. And it's been an honor for my son and now my son and I to now go shopping and pick gifts out for other kids who have need. My 14-year-old gets very excited to do this every year. Thank you, CVC, for reaching out to those who aren't as fortunate. So thank you. Thank you for being a church that gets this. And we want to continue to do this year-round, but also to uniquely leverage the opportunities that come at Christmas to do good to others and love others in the name of Christ. You know, uh, there's a quote in the Advent Conspiracy book that I thought would be helpful to us. It says this, sometimes we will be led to huge global strategies. There's times when going after the big Goliath and the big things, that, that that's what we want to go after. But they said here, but it's usually the simple common sense acts of love that make the difference. Sometimes it's just those little acts of love, those little, um, you know, things that we do that make a difference. Because when we talk like this, it's very easy to be overwhelmed by the need out there. So many people in need. But I just want to echo something I said last week. Just start with one. Like loving all begins with learning how to love one well. And so just go after a cause or go after one, um, you know, effort. Uh, one email we got last week that, that is, a, is a neat email that talks about how the Advent Conspiracy has helped this family to do this. They said, thank you for the Advent Conspiracy series. This year, our family, grandchildren included, decided to take most of the money we spent on each other for Christmas and donate it. We will each pick a cause that we have a burden for, and through a series of games played on Christmas Day, we'll determine a winner. The winner will go to donate all the money to their cause. We want to develop this as a new tradition that teaches our grandchildren to worship fully, spend less, give more, love all. Now, what a great example of a family that's made that adjustment now. And, and they need to be very grateful that I'm not part of their family because I would come and I would, I would just beat them all and take their money and give it to my cause, you know? 
you got to have some good family competition, right? And I just love this image of everybody having a cause and wanting to, wanting to win so that they could t- take it and put it towards their cause. And yet those who don't win are happy because it's going to some place of great need. And so this is just an example of what this looks like for us to, to do good and love others, love all, because of how Christ has loved us and the good he's done to us. Well, here's some examples or ideas. If you're thinking about how, how can this look even this Christmas and the Christmases after, here's just some examples to get the juices flowing. Uh, invite someone over who will be alone for Christmas. We know that there are people who are going to be alone for Christmas. Invite them over or go to their place and just show up and bring some food and bring, bring a game to play or just hang out. Give the present of presents. Uh, you can go to a hospital. Like nobody wants to be in a hospital on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. Go to a hospital and bring treats or food or something to do and just offer, offer to bless them and pray for them as they're in that place. Uh, you can invite someone to the Christmas Eve service with you. Maybe they've never been to Christmas Eve or it's been a while. Invite them to Christmas Eve with you. Pick them up if they need a ride. Maybe even include them as far as your meals or your activities before and after. Also, you can find an opportunity to serve the poor or the homeless or the hurting or the needy or the oppressed or the discouraged and go do that as an individual or with some friends or with your family. Also, I know some people uh, that have talked about this on Christmas Day, uh, they'll just put some gifts, some food, some things in their car, and they'll just say, Lord, send us to someone who has need. And they'll drive around looking for somebody that just needs, needs help. And God, there's these cool stories of how God leads them right to the right people um, that need to be blessed in that time. Also, you can take any Christmas money or gifts that you receive and forward them on to somebody locally around the world that has greater need than you do. Maybe you have access to someone in prison and you haven't written them, uh, you haven't visited them. You can go visit or write to them and show up at Christmas. And so this, these are just some of the ways that we can all love and do good to others like Christ has loved and done good to us. And again, if you feel overwhelmed, start with one. Start with one. Well, here's what I want to do. I want to bring us to the point of application and response. And I want to invite you to respond. But before I do, I just want to, I want to make this caveat. Do not do what I'm asking you to do right now unless it's genuine, unless it's authentic. Don't do it because other people are, because someone might look at you different or because the person next to you did this. But we've talked now about four weeks of what an Advent conspiracy can look like, of, of what our Christmases can look like if we truly worship fully, and spend less, and give more, and then love all. And specifically on this love all piece, I'm going to invite you in a second to raise your hand. If you're willing to commit starting this Christmas and every Christmas after it, now granted, we do this all the time through the year, but there's unique opportunities at Christmas, that if you're willing to commit that including this Christmas and every Christmas beyond, you will leverage your resources to love all. Find somebody that needs um, a need to be met. If you're willing to leverage your Christmases from this point forward doing so, would you just raise your hand? This is just you, God. This is kind of a little bit of accountability. We're not doing the whole bow your head, close your eyes things. Thank you. Thank you for that. If, if we all do one, think about how many people are going to be impacted during Christmas season. And so my challenge is let this raising of your hand uh, really be a, a stake in the ground that from now on, our Christmases are going to look a little different. And we're not going to let the world dictate how we celebrate the birth of our Savior. We're not going to let the world tell us what we need to do to worship Jesus. We have a better insight into his heart than they do. And so we're going to let our Christmas look a little different than the world wants it to look. And so I encourage you, worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all, all the time, especially at Christmas. Let's just take that 
And let's take that to prayer right now. Father, we just want to talk to you for a minute. Lord, thank you for being a God who is so loving and so caring and so gracious to us. And Father, we praise you for being this loving God who's done good to us. Lord, we were the ones who were hungry. You gave us Jesus, the bread of life. We were the ones who were thirsty. You gave us living water. We were strangers. You went and built the house, and you're coming back to bring us to be where you are. You have invited us in. Lord, we were unclothed. We were naked, Lord, in our sin and shame. And through faith in Christ, you wrapped us in robes of righteousness that we could never earn, but only through faith in Christ could we ever receive. And Lord, we were sick. Sin, sick. And you brought healing to the hurting places in our life. Father, we were imprisoned and shackled to our sin and addictions and shames. And through the power of Christ, you freed us. And so we're so grateful, and we're thankful for that. We are very clear in our understanding that you've told us to go do that for others out of our love for you. And so we confess that we don't do that very often. We confess that there have been people that are tough to love that we refuse to love. We confess there are people that need it, but we've just turned our backs intentionally or unintentionally and have forgotten or neglected. We're sorry for that. Help us not to do that. So we ask right now, Lord Jesus, in your name, that you would help us to love others as you do and to do good to others like you do in the days, weeks, months, and years to come, all in the name of Christ. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who raise their hands that this genuine moment will etch in their mind that they will never have Christmas the same again. And God, would you bless their ministry? Would you allow it to have fruit for the kingdom of God? I want to bring this list back up. Would you just look at this list over for a minute? And out of the serious ones, would you pick one of those categories? And would you just take a minute and pray for the people in that category that come to mind? Just pray for that group of people. Would you take a minute and pray for them? Jesus, we lift up these people. You love them. You love them. You died for them. You rose for them. You want us to love them too. It will be evident that we love you by how we love them. So help us to do that well. Lord, we also pray for Christmas Eve. We know in two days we're going to have people showing up here that, that don't know you as Savior, or maybe they're, uh, they're just prodigal, they've, they've, they've run away. God, we pray that you bring them back to you and that people will come to Christ. Lord, may seeds be planted, seeds be watered, Seeds be harvested for the kingdom of God Christmas Eve. Help us to be bold, courageous, loving, and invite people. But God, all glory to you. May more people come to you this Christmas. So we love you, we worship you, we praise you. Ask all these things in your name. We all said together.